Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is Tobias Rex, and this is the Sharks, Dinosaurs, and Mythical Creatures podcast coming at you right now. I've decided that for today's episode, I'm not going to discuss a creature. I'm going to recite a story about one. Remember the Leviathan? Well, that story I mentioned in that episode, the deepest part of the ocean is not empty. I'm going to recite it for you guys. And this story was submitted to Reddit by the, by the Reddit user named Jesse Clark. And Jesse Clark, if you can hear this, I love your story, man. I love it so much. It was awesome. So, girls, cuddle up to your boyfriends. Boyfriends, cuddle up to your girlfriends. Kids, cuddle up to your stuffed animals. Sit back, relax, get some popcorn if you'd like, and get ready because we're going on a dive. Over the course of the last few weeks of training, I had memorized nearly every facet of the Tuscany. Every dial and every readout and every knob and screen and nuance of structure and the quality of the personal submarine's craftsmanship never ceased to astound me. It was a remarkable feat of engineering. This little beast, designed with such care that even the equipment on the hull could withstand more water pressure than the sea could muster up at any achievable depth. It was my Pegasus, my Trojan horse, my very own Apollo 11. And inside this matrix of layered syntactic foam, I would follow the ballasts down towards the gratuitous and unexplored depths of Higgins Maw. I began the separation sequence, and the deep diver fell away from the escort and dipped beneath the surface of the Pacific Ocean with silence and grace and a few knots of speed, and then I was consumed in a whole new world, that of the sea. Schools of fish swam on by me, and when the cloud passed through a sunbeam, it glinted silver, and beneath them swam rays that rolled their wings to the beat of the current, and out in the rocks crawled the crustaceans, and sat the plant life that spruced up all the whitewashed stones there like holiday ornaments. But I had an appointment to keep, and the oxygen tank was a demanding clock, so I dove right on past the old reef and out into the open waters where the seabed couldn't be seen for many, many miles yet. The maw, uh, Reuben had said, 50,000 feet below the surface, Booker. 50,000! Do you know what that means? It means it's a whole heck of a lot deeper than the Challenger Abyss. He, and he nodded at that. Are you ready to make history? Was I? I thought I was. I had prepared for this lonely dive and nothing else for some years now. It was the culmination of a lifetime of work and study in the field, and so tight was its grip on my mind that I often dreamt of it in my sleep of what I'd find at the bottom, and what it would mean, and what monstrous things might take offense to my presence there. No, no, I shoved that thought aside. Tuscany was all the protection I needed in that regard. It offered technology on, on the bleeding edge of a heavy hull, and that was enough to withstand enough water pressure to crush bones beneath skin and inches of steel. What animal had jaws more powerful than the ocean itself at Fathom? So I hit the thrusters, and down I went like a bullet to the pitch. I eyed the depth meter as much as I did the sea. 100 feet. 200. Sharks and turtles and countless fish swam past me. 300 feet. 500 feet. 700. 1,250. The inverse height of the Empire State Building. The water began to blur and grain up and darken as the sunlight struggled to push on through. 2,000. 3,000, where the light no longer shines, and soon all the light I had to spill glow to the path ahead and down were the lights of the Tuscany. I continued the descent for hours. 
and the pressure meter ticked up in spasmic bursts, but up it went. Up, up, up. Soon ticking past the point where the weight of the sea would have crushed the steel of another vessel. One mile down. 1.3. 1.6 miles, where even sperm whales hit their lowest dive. I could now claim with confidence that no mammal on earth was as deep down at that very moment as myself. And still I dove. Two miles. The water was as black as space now, except for where the lights of the Tuscany pierced through it, and the thickness of the fluid kind of made it look like ink or oil or some kind of alien sludge that smeared up against the reinforced windows and slimed its way across the hull. Things were tight down here, despite the vastness of it all. Yet still, I dove. 13,000 feet. The abyssal zone. Pressure stands at 11,000 psi, pounds per square inch. And I saw an angler float by, and it was startled by the sheer volume of light spread by the Tuscany that dwarfed its own bioluminescent glow. It swam away, and I dove further. 15,000 feet. Three miles. Now things get interesting. Mankind had visited these depths almost infrequently enough to count the expeditions on a single pair of hands. I was now ranked among an illustrious few explorers, and although I wasn't the first to hit these marks, I'd hit the deepest one yet before this journey was over. I was determined, and I was capable. So I checked the depth chart. 16,281.4 feet, nearly halfway to the world record. And the Tuscany continued its dive. 20,000 feet down. The Hadal Zone. Pressure here is 1,100 times what it is at the surface. 22,000 feet. 26. 29,000. The height of Mount Everest. 30,000. The same distance from the surface as a commercial airliner at the peak of its flight. The Challenger Deep, which is what had previously been the lowest recorded place on the seabed, sat at roughly 36,000 feet below the surface. That was in the depths of the Marianas Trench, and no light from the sun had ever come close, and to the best accounts, life existed there, but only sparsely, and the pressure is unspeakable. But I was going somewhere vastly deeper even than that. All we know is we found a canyon, Reuben had said, dwarfs the Grand, sitting dead center in the Pacific seabed, about 1,200 kilometers west of Hawaii and another 900 south, and, near as we can figure, some 50,000 feet straight on down. 36,000 feet. I was now tied for the world record. 50,000 feet? Why the heck are we just now seeing it? 36,500. I did it! My heartbeat swept out to a faster rhythm. I was now officially a world record holder. No human being in recorded history had been as deep below the surface as I was at that very moment. New seabed scanning technology helped, said Reuben. It gave us a more detailed map of the hydrosphere than we've ever had before. And once we got the results back, we took a look. And there it was, just waiting for us, inviting us down. So what's down there? Doctor, if we knew that, we wouldn't be sending you, would we? I suppose not. The awful spirits of the deep hold their communion there, and there are those for whom we weep. The young, the bright, and the fair. Higgins Maw, according to the best information available to me at the time of departure, is a pit, roughly a full kilometer across. It begins at approximately 46,000 feet below the surface, and is estimated to bottom out at Higgins Deep, a small valley that sits at its base, 
some 5,000 additional feet below that. The Maw is the largest and deepest such formation in the hydrosphere, and yet its dimensions and location are the only things concretely known about it. That, of course, is where myself and where the Tuscany come in. 43,000 feet down. I hit the floodlights underneath the Tuscany, and the glow washed over an alien landscape that likely hadn't seen light in over a billion years. There were mountains here. Mountains. Ones that rivaled the Alps, and wild arches and plateaus that stretched far off to a murky horizon before being shrouded by seawater. I even saw life down here in the depths. A squid-like thing of simply monstrous size swam on by my boat. And it stopped for a moment, and during that moment I thought it might take offense to me, but after looking hard at the Tuscany and brushing a tentacle down on the port side, it swam off in search of other things. Atta girl. I descended further. 44,000 feet. 45. And then, all of a sudden, there it was. The maw. And my mouth hung by the jaw as the sheer scope of the beast came into view. It was a breathtaking sight to behold. A monstrously large and equally dark hole in the crust of the earth that plummeted to inconceivable fathoms. I descended a bit further, 46,000 feet, and the Tuscany fell into its yawn. Somehow things were even blacker in the depths of the thing, even though sunlight had long since been blotted out. I began to become aware of a low current pulling me downward. It wasn't particularly powerful, but it was unexpected, and therefore alarming and yet I couldn't bear to pull myself back up. Not yet. I'll turn around if it gets bad. So down I went. Deeper and deeper still into the cavern. 48,000 feet. 48,5. 49,000. And then I saw it. A glow. I squinted and dimmed my lights to confirm the intuition. What in the name of God? And it was there indeed. A dim reddish purple, then green, then purple again, and then blue, floating on a mist of current some few thousand feet down. I resumed the dive to chase it. The glow, whatever it was, was getting deeper and wider and brighter. Soon, it filled up the whole path down ahead. I dimmed the Tuscany's underlights to their lowest setting, and by 50,000 feet I could see that the glow was coming from somewhere not directly beneath me, but off to the left and around a wide corner. This cave isn't a straight pit. And sure enough, the hole bottomed out here and then opened up to its left. Holy God. Holy God. It was a cavern chamber, at least a full kilometer up and deep and side to side and across. And only the enormity of its radius maintained the darkness of it despite the presence of thousands of floating bioluminescent pods that pulsated purple and green and blue and red and dimmed in the interim. I took the Tuscany in deeper, and her cameras whirred to life. Calmly, the wearied seamen rest beneath their own blue sea. The ocean's solitudes are blessed, for there is purity. And the cavern became darker still when the pods faded into the water behind the ship. But there were more things to be seen here than rocks. Tuscany, about a quarter hour after entering the chamber, soon floated on by a bizarrely rope-like plant of an utterly impossible size. It was one that appeared to stretch nearly across the height of the cave and grew wider at the base, although the bottom of it was shrouded in blackness, 
I took the submarine in for a closer inspection and, her, and hit her lights to their fullest setting. My heartbeat slammed. There were suction cups on it, each one as big as the Tuscany herself, and they writhed and pulsated across and down the full length of what was now very clearly a tentacle. And in a panic, I shoved Tuscany back and away from the thing, but when I tried to turn her around, the base of the hull collided with the beast and stuck fast to one of its cups. I gunned the thrusters and could hear a wet tearing sound as the machine ripped itself free of the cup's grasp. But then, the tentacle came to life. It whipped and whirled and smacked around the cavern and pressed itself to the roof, and then it fell down, deep beyond where the darkness blanketed the floor. Come on, baby. I hit the thrusters again, and Tuscany rocketed off the way it came, through the darkness and off toward the pods, whose glow I hoped would afford me an opportunity to shut the lights off the ship and make my escape, if I were so lucky. But very soon, I began to hear and feel the movement of something unspeakably titanic rolling across the floor of the chamber. It rumbled and thundered and shuddered and shook, and soon clouds of dirt and rock flew up out of the black pitch and blanketed the view forward, and I could hear boulders smack against the ceiling of the cave before sinking again to where they've been. The sound had erupted across the entire breadth of the cave at once. My eardrums nearly burst, and likely would have had it not been for muffling of the explosion provided by the walls of the Tuscany. The submarine shook too, but she held up her integrity well enough for me to fly on past the floating pods, some of which were now knocked on their sides and rolling, and back towards the yawning mouth of the tunnel that would take me back out into the open deeps. The Tuscany buckled and rolled with an impact. The tentacle, I realized, had shot up from the ground and hit the bottom of the ship between her ballasts, B but luckily it knocked her with force up towards the tunnel. I rolled Tuscany with the hit and managed to regain some control, and I boosted the thrusters into the turn and up again, now back into the maw. Then I began to climb. 52,000 feet. 51. Come on, baby, come on, don't you fail me now, don't you fail me now! Uh, Tuscany ascended with panicked speed, and all the while she did it, I could feel the rumbling of the tentacle's pursuit in the walls of the pit. It smashed its way on through the tunnel, and whipped and thrashed. But Tuscany was too quick a runner. 46,000 feet and climbing high. The Tuscany burst out of the maw and was about to rocket straight on back up to the surface, but then the tentacle flew out beside her and nearly smashed in her front window. I bent the controls to the edge of their set casing, and Tuscany tanked to the left and up a bit, and missed the ground by inches. I hit the lights again to navigate the labyrinth of rocks as I struggled to remount the climb. But in the light of the ship, I saw it. These weren't rocks after all. They were other ships. Massive vessels, imperial warships from ages past, bent and crooked and broken at the bottom of the sea, pulled down here by whatever it was that now threw its back to my devouring. The tentacle smashed along behind me. Main masts and battlements and flat decks and rusted iron and wooden boat hulls were splintered up and tossed to the winds of the sea, never again to reconvene. I took Tuscany through this nautical graveyard with far, far too much speed for my safety. Under ship towers we went, and through cannon mounts, and past the blades of dead engines and around upended rudders. 
the cacophony of my flight and the destructive path sent by my hunter awoke the life in the place. Fish washed out of holes and cabins and captain's quarters and deep deck stair flights and soon joined me in my effort to escape. But it seemed there was no escape to be found here. The entire ground for countless miles shook and rumbled with seismic force. It was thunderously loud and it picked up speed and violence with time. Tuscany finally flew up to miss, a, to miss a splintered crow's nest atop a mast by less than a foot, and finally used that directed momentum to put away distance between the seabed and herself with as many knots of speed as her thrushes would allow, without bursting from the effort. The depth chart began to rise. 45.9, 45.2, 45.000 feet. Come on, come on, you... The water itself seemed to shift with the sound, and then, out of nowhere, Tuscany was no longer the only thing spilling light to the abyss. An orange glow flashed across the sea, and for an instant illuminated nearly the entirety of its fastness. Then it blinked, then it flicked on again and stayed active. I shut off Tuscany's lights to preserve every molecule of power for the ascent. Beside me in the glow, I could make out other creatures retreating too. Ones of spectacular size, again, that mankind had never catalogued, and that I, sadly, would not have time to. There were city bus-sized, manta ray-shaped things, wrapped up in clouded wisps of transparent jelly, and even that squid the size of a building, all flying upwards in a masked panic, and I led the charge. 43 42-8, 42-3, 42-2. I looked behind me and down through the rear window. The maw had moved. It was alive. God almighty, I was in the leviathan's throat. I was going down its throat. I saw its tentacled tongue lash out of the maw and collect enough fish to feed a small town. Tuscany rocketed ever upwards as the leviathan whipped even larger tentacles behind it and gained speed with the force of a hurricane. The Leviathan opened its maw yet again and spewed forth its tentacle tongue, and with it, it whipped up several Olympic swimming pools worth of water into a gale-force maelstrom. The mammoth squid was caught in its fury, I saw, and then it vanished into the pit forever when the maw snapped shut with a thunderous echoing snap. Tuscany, meanwhile, continued to rocket upwards and managed to escape the whirlpool by a foot. 38,000 feet and climbing. But the Leviathan pursued me relentlessly, riding on the flood of its own current. Its tentacles, each dozens of feet across and a mile long, beat the water back and tried to gain speed for their host. Thirty-seven five. Thirty-seven. Thirty-six four. Tuscany had proved her worth with speed and the pressure gauge now fell in jumps. It remained in the red and wood for some time, but it was falling steadily, even as the depth chart rose. 29,000 feet. 27,5. But the Leviathan hadn't given up the chase. Not yet. I could feel it doubling its efforts, and the displaced water rocked the Tuscany and she buckled and rolled in the synthetic current. 
Then I heard the maw open up behind me, and the water began to whip and swirl itself into a frenzy by the ocean load. I punched the thrusters to breaking point. Come on! The encasing syntactic foam was pressed to its limits. The reinforced glass began to chip ever so very slightly, but the chips broke into cracks, and those cracks began to crawl across the width of the windows. I checked the gauges. 20,000 feet. 198, 194, 193. The ascent was slowing. Come on, baby. Come on, come on, please, God, please be with me! In the orange glow of the Leviathan's eyes, I could see how quickly the water was slipping by Tuscany and getting swept up into the maelstrom. The submarine began to sway port to starboard and shudder and shake. I watched the gauge with a nauseating desperation. 15.95. 15.92. I could feel her slowing to a crawl. Come on, come on! 15925, 1594, 1596. Crap! And that was it. Tuscany was caught. And no sooner did the depth chart begin to slip than did I feel the whole submarine lose all sense of control and tumble backwards and around. I was thrown out of my seat and smacked my nose against the roof of the pilot sphere. Blood exploded, and it drenched my shirt and sprayed the glass and nearly the entirety of the control set. I grabbed my face and began to apply pressure to slow the blood loss, but Tuscany again flipped ballast over ballast to starboard in the whirlpool and spilled me into the hatch ladder. I felt my shoulder dislocate and my kneecap smack into the bottom rung. My head swam, and still Tuscany tumbled backwards, and the cracks on the windows spread faster. I could smell the inside of the maw through the hull of the ship. But then, all at once and not a moment too soon, I got an idea. It wasn't a particularly good one, but heck if it wasn't better than nothing. I managed to limp and tumble my way to the controls and grip the handles as the ship rolled. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Now! The sound of the roar was so close that every last control surface in the sphere rattled in its case. My eardrums rattled too, but then I flared up the thrusters again, full blast and at an angle, and the Tuscany shuddered and flipped and shook, and with fortune fell straight out of the maelstrom with inches to spare. I felt the edge of the Leviathan's maw graze the starboard side, and the impact again set me into the roof while the ship rolled end over end over end again. I smacked my ribs up on a dip in the alcove and fell back down into the seat head first and then out onto the floor. I managed to right myself with my good arm and get my bearings. I was free, but only just. And the Tuscany banked and tumbled again and rolled, slower now in the abscess of the whirlpool's flood current but not yet in control of its pull. I tried to steer away, but it was useless. The ship flipped around the back of the Leviathan's titanic maw and up over its head as the beast flew by underneath me like a freight train. And for the first time since catching the monster's eye, I began to fully appreciate the magnitude of its size. Its back was an endless, snake-like and sharp-finned spine the size of a minor mountain range, and only quick maneuvering moved Tuscany away from the jagged back fins that chugged up towards me and sliced open the sea itself. They missed me by feet and the blast of the current they'd swept up sent the submarine reeling backwards, 
off a bit further and into relative safety. I quickly dimmed the lights to their lowest setting and caught my breath as the full form of the Leviathan washed on past me. It stretched far away into the abyss below for well over a mile, and dragging away behind it were thousands upon thousands of tentacles, a forest of the things, each the size of a six-lane highway and tipped with razor-sharp hooks and a flurry of wing fins. It took a full three minutes for the beast to pass by me fully, and then it curved around in the other direction and swam off in search of other things to devour. The form soon slipped away into a shadow, and then it was gone. I surfaced hours later, having allowed the battered Tuscany to take its time with the journey. She was solely responsible for my escape. My quick thinking be darned. A marvel of engineering indeed. Once I did break the surface, I dispersed a distress beacon and then promptly collapsed from exhaustion. Um, evidently, I was picked up by the Coast Guard some hours after that a few hundred miles southwest of Hawaii, and pulled from the near wreckage of my submarine and was taken to a hospital on the mainland. It was there that I woke up, a full day later. As I recovered, I heard some isolated chatter of tremendous seismic activity near where I'd been, and how the whole ocean floor had changed and moved and shifted form. But I couldn't care less. I told them what I knew. And on top of that, they have the Tuscany, and they have all the recorded evidence— and you now have this written account. And what everyone does with this information now is entirely up to them. All I know is that I won't be doing any more diving anytime soon. I've come to a realization that mankind has more than enough space to expand throughout and live upon and thrive in above and near the surface, and on land, and in the sky, and soon, hopefully, out there amongst the stars. But there are things in the sea that hold ownership of the deep, and perhaps it's best to leave it that way, for all of our sake. The earth has guilt, the earth has care, unquiet are its graves, but peaceful sleep is ever there beneath the dark blue waves.